0: Okay, we're still in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. we got, what's the day, March the 4th. So we got about, uh, barely over two months, we'll get through chapter 7, hopefully. Anyway, chapter 6 is where we're at, verses 25 through 30. So I'm going to read this uh, to you. You, won't, you don't need to turn over here with me. Don't want to, I'm going to read something from Joshua. If I can get over here to it. So Joshua's been selected to take over the baton of leadership from Moses and and that God's already spoken to him several times through the voice of Moses back in Deuteronomy that he's going to have to be strong and courageous which kind of make you think, hey, this is not going to be a cakewalk that God's put me into. And so he comes again to Joshua in chapter 1 of Joshua, it's recorded, and so this is what he says in verse 3, "...every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's pretty interesting, that short passage where he tells him three times, be strong and courageous. And so, Jesus is speaking in, in a Sermon on the Mount about a similar thing that we've been called in to possess all that Jesus died to make available to us. Not only not only do our sins uh, become forgiven and cast into the sea of forgetfulness, but God wants us to walk into the, the fruitfulness of what He's provided for us in Christ Jesus. And we're going to have to be strong and courageous to do that. And, and really, the only way that we get courage is from this. And as the Holy Spirit imparts it to it and writes on our heart, this is where we get courage. And we got to be strong and courageous because we live in an age, I guess everybody lives in, in the same age, really, doesn't matter, you know, which generation you're in. But we live in this age in, in which life just kind of sometimes beats us over the head. You know, things come up and, and we're prone to to give in, to give up, to backtrack, to, you know, just to say, well, I really don't need to press in that hard. And that's when we have to remember that, that God says, you've got to be strong and courageous if you're going to take this land. I'm, I'm giving it to you, but you've got to stand your ground, and, and you've got to be strong, you've got to be courageous. And let me remind you, you've got to be strong, you've got to be courageous. And this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night, that you might be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. So God does want us to prosper, He does want us to have good success, but His definition is the one that's got to be followed, Right? And to prosper and have good success is to be close to Jesus and to be obedient to God's will. That's how we prosper. That's how we succeed. And so the first Psalm says something similar, you know, about the blessed is the man who walks not according to this world, you know, not with the scoffers, not with the wicked, not with the evil, but his his mind is set on God's word constantly. And so he bears good fruit. His leaf doesn't wither, even though he may be in a very difficult situation in this life can get very difficult. So Jesus, again, is talking to a group of people. He's not just talking. He's not talking to the world, which is obvious uh, when you read the Beatitudes. He's talking to people that are defined by the initial statements that he makes in chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, you know, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who... who, uh, uh, Have pure hearts so that they might see God. All these are the people that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to disciples, people that have left life as they've known it to follow Jesus. And so then he speaks to them, and he speaks to us in this particular case, and he's he's going to talk to us about anxiety. You ever been anxious about anything? Yeah. So I I used to watch it when my son was in high school. Their school was really good. They were we were in a we were in a one A school, which is six man football, which is very exciting. Eighty. An 80-yard field and 40 yards wide. And, and, man, I mean, it's just run and gun. Sometimes the scores are 120 to 117 and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and in the basketball, they were always good, but they always went beyond the district into the regionals. And one, one year they got to state finals, you know, and we traveled all over watching them. And, and uh, boy, that made me anxious when, when they were playing, you know. And, uh, kind of a good sense, I guess, but still anxious. And so now a lot of times I don't watch sports. I just read about them after the fact because I really get anxious, you know. Uh, but there's but there's an anxiety that's not healthy at all, and it's to be anxious about what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear, where are we going to live, how are we going to make it? And uh, so Jesus speaking to his disciples is acknowledging the fact that it's possible for us to get anxious. Anxiety is not a good thing. Anxiety is kind of like uh, if you if you go to the doctor and you get, uh, tested for your cholesterol anybody here taking cholesterol drugs it's like 95 percent of america and uh, my doctor told me he said every doctor in this place has taken these as preventative maintenance I mean, Man, that's terrible anyway so you're taking that so the cholesterol supposedly doesn't coagulate you know and adhere to the walls of your arteries well that's what anxiety does to your spirit you know it just it chokes down the flow of life, when we entertain anxiety. It's like spiritual cholesterol. So we don't want it. It's a killer. And so when we come to this sixth chapter and we come to this particular portion, Jesus spends, spends really a lot of time. Orlando will finish this up next week, but he spends a lot of time speaking about those things because he's just finished this portion about not laying up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust consume. So he's speaking to a people that are that maybe have a lot and they're stacking up their barns. Oh, my soul, you know, your barns are full. Take your rest and you die that night. What a bummer. You know, that's a 60s, a 60s term, a bummer. Do you know that term? Anyway, so, so he says, don't do that. But now, now it seems like he's turning to speak to some other people that are afraid they don't, have, they don't have a barn. And they're afraid, you know, that they grow anxious about this. But it still has to do with material. So in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, that's obvious, isn't it? And so Jesus makes this well-known and when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the first temptation is, you know, he said, I see you're really hungry there. Why don't you turn this rock into bread, you know, and eat it? And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's been meditating really on what Joshua was told to meditate on, wasn't he? Joshua was told, don't let this word depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. Well, Jesus has been doing that for 33 years. As long as he's been able to and capable of focusing on God's word and being God's word, he's meditated on that. And he has the Old Testament in his heart. And so he speaks out of Deuteronomy, which Joshua would have been very familiar with. It's not that we don't need bread, we do need bread, don't we? But we don't live by bread alone. There's something beneath that, there's something internal beyond that. We have to live by the word of God. And so he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. And Jesus said, the the life is more than the food and the clothing we clothe ourselves with. So in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can now give a single hour to his span of life? Which, which means the length or the breadth of our life. You know, how much? Not, not our height, although they do have surgeries where they can insert bones and stretch your legs so people can get taller. Well, wouldn't you hate to go through that surgery? But he's really talking about the length, the breadth of our life, the, the fullness of our life. We can't add to that by becoming anxious. And so we're looking at these things that are they're just part of the stuff of life. We've got to eat. We've got to have clothing on unless we're in a nudist colony. I don't want to go there anyway. But we have these things that are necessities. Shelter, you even list that, the, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But Jesus wasn't anxious about that because he knew his Father would provide for him. So he sets this model for us going into the temptation of the wilderness that his Father will provide and he comes out of that, and he teaches in the sermon, and he says, I don't want you to be anxious that way. I don't want your life to be restricted. I want you to have the abundance of the life that I've purchased. I want you to be strong and courageous. I don't want you to be anxious and fearful, full of doubt. I want you to know that your Father and I are going to take care of you. So if you look at the birds there, now, it's not that we're just supposed to s- sit around and pray all the time. We're not, we're not hermits. We're not uh, monks or nuns. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so it's assumed that we're going to make our living by the sweat of our brow. And even before the fall, man was going to tend that garden. Adam and Eve were going to take care of that garden in the space that God had given them. So they were always going to work. And, they were, and God had given them the plants of the field to eat. So they were going to have to harvest those plants. Always that was going to happen. So it's not that God's saying, just sit down, don't do a thing, you know. There are cases where that happened. you know, Elijah with the ravens. But that's not, that's not the typical way. We're going to work but God's going to provide the energy. He's going to provide the talents. He's going to provide the ability. He's going to provide the job. He's going to provide all of that so that we have what we need. Birds, uh, I don't know if God sends birds to our backyard because my wife is, is God's servant, you know, and so she's feeding these birds all the time, so I get to watch all these birds coming in there. But birds, you know, they, they don't uh, seem like they're fending for themselves, but they do. They look around for food, don't they? they they're constantly, and if they're a bird of prey... They 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 fail a lot more often than they succeed in getting the rabbit, but they work. But God's the one that provides their food. He's the one that provides their flight, their vision to see and to know where to go. So all of these things are provided by God. And God's it's interesting that God is a, has made such a you know a plethora of species and things for us to enjoy, isn't it? Do you see that about that yellow cardinal in the paper this week? That's pretty interesting. A yellow one out of a one out of a million or two million cardinals is yellow, and this was one in the backyard. Somebody down in the southeast. They took pictures of it. You know, a yellow cardinal. That's really cool. Anyway, so so you've got these you've got these examples Jesus is giving in nature, and we know that the birds are not being anxious. You know, they they trust God. They uh, we don't know everything about them, but I just read a big article on how smart birds are. So they they function at a much higher level than than we give them credit for. And somehow they're relating to God and they're dependent upon God and they they have a knowledge of that and they know where to go and when to be there, you know, and all these different things in order to to get what they need and God's the one that provides for it. So he says in verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field Which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not be much more clothed you, O you of little faith? You know, they used to gather grass in big heaps and throw it into ovens and burn it and get the oven real hot. And then, after it was real hot, they'd throw the bread in there and close the lid on it, you know. And then that would cook the heat that was remaining in there. So that's kind of a neat reference there. But that's what that grass was good for, for burning. And so, grass, you know, flowers, they come and they go. We are like that. You know, the Bible compares us to the flower of grass that perishes, you know, to the to the vapor that's here for a little while and is gone. And so we have Billy Graham who is 99. You know, I'm I'm, t- I'm two-thirds of the way to 99. I doubt I'm going to make it to 99. But 99 years is not very long, is it? You know, just, whew, it's gone. It's all over, you know. Except it just starts for Billy Graham. It just starts, doesn't it? Uh, they, they, they attributed a quote to Billy Graham that I'm sure was a D.L. Moody quote, but maybe he repeated D.L. Moody. <laughs> Moody said, you know, you know, one of these days soon you're going to hear that D.L. Moody has died. But he said, don't you believe it? He said, I'm more alive than I've ever been. Yeah. So, and they said that about Billy, Billy Graham. So I bet you he stole that out of D.L. Moody's biography. <laughs> so he says, uh, oh, you of little faith, don't be anxious. So God is asking us to do some things, and one of them is to do exactly as Joshua did. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Jesus is saying, look. Look at look at around. Look at nature. So when we look at nature, everything we know is to be seen through the lens of God behind it, and because all of this holds, all of this uh, sermon really is speaking to us about an eschatological hope. That is, at the Perugia, at the second advent of Christ, everything that we read about in the Beatitudes will be full force. But now it's the tense of shall. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They are being satisfied. There is a satisfaction, but yet there's still a hunger, isn't there? kind of homesick for a country which I've never seen before. You know, no sad goodbyes will there be spoken, and time won't matter anymore. You know, that's what that's what the hymn says. And so we're we're longing and we have this taste of the powers of the age to come, but it's all but the fulfillment of it awaits the perusia when Jesus returns. And so we're these people that are we're not we're not hermits, we're pilgrims. You know, hermits are going to be concerned about what they got. Pilgrims know that along the trail there's breadcrumbs, you know, there's manna, there's provision day after day after day. God provides. And we are to let today's troubles be sufficient for themselves rather than let them kind of heap up on us, you know, and borrow for the next months and years and stuff. i tell you a neat story that's cool for our family. When my son graduated from high school and getting ready to graduate from high school, he wanted to go to Texas Tech. And uh, being a pastor in a small town, I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay hardly anything toward his tuition. You know, public colleges are really expensive. Tech at that time, which was several years back, was about, they estimated $22,000 a year for room and board, books and tuition. That's a state-sponsored school, 22000 So you imagine going to Baylor or TCU or something like that. It's like, here's my blood, take it, you know. And so here's this expense. I'm looking at go, man, I, you know, I... I can't. I can't help you much, but you know maybe we can get a scholarship. Well, one thing that happened that was really cool is one day I went to the bank, and I, and the lady said, "Here, here's a receipt for the deposit." And somebody made a five thousand dollar deposit in my checking account for Cade. I thought, wow, man, that just that just broke me. I thought, wow, what a generous offer that somebody gave that for my son. You know, knowing what he wanted to do. So we go down to we go down to tech and. And meet with all the people we know to meet with, you know, t- talking to, and, and you have to get to the right person at the right time. So we go into the administration building, we go to the, the place where this lady administers all of the, all of the uh, scholarships and all of the grants and everything, and it just so happens we get in to see her, and she's a busy lady. We get in there with no appointment, and she says, well, you could try this and this and this, oh, we got that, we could do this. So she gets us up to about half of the money he needs, you know, well, wow, this is amazing. And then he, gets this, he takes the ACT and he, gets, he just knocks the top out of the ACT. And so he gets this letter from the dean of the school at TAG and says, uh, I want you to come to this dinner. We're going to give you a presidential scholarship, which is worth up to 25000 bucks." I thought, wow, this is really cool how God provides. And I thought, there it is. I've been paying all this money into Social Security and losing all these years, now I'm getting it back, and my son's going to get it for college, you know. But just God making that provision to get my son in there because he really wanted to go there. His heart was set on that. And, and then he became a petroleum engineer and you can't do that you know, just anywhere. There's only a few schools that have that program. And so it was just God paving the way for him to do that. You know, and it was just an amazing gift of God. It had nothing to do with, with our ability to do or to make or influence. It's just God saying, here, you, know, you don't have to be anxious about these things. He doesn't need to be anxious about these things. You know, and we're not to be anxious about what we have need of. If God is looking out for the birds, look. Look at the birds of the air. Consider them. We're supposed to meditate on the reality that God sustains all he's created. We're supposed to be people that are mindful of this constantly. Constantly that in his sovereign, providential, and benevolent care, he has laid up for us what we need. His name is yahweh Jirah. He sees the need prior to its arrival, and he's laid up the resource for that. So when Abraham goes up on the mountain to offer his son Isaac, God says, hey, look over there. Oh, a ram. This is the sacrifice. Not my son, but God's provided the sacrifice. God sees what we need before we need it. This is an amazing thing to think about, but the, God knows what birds need and he's going to provide that for them and if one of them falls to the ground he takes note of that it's amazing isn't it you you hit a bird you ever heard a bird whack oh i gotta tell you a joke it's not really a joke it's a true story a friend of mine used to drive a, a an oil truck for a job up in periton and he was going down highway 207 out to an oil rig they give him some diesel and when he's coming down the road this way highway patrol is coming this way and he hits this pheasant He hits the visit and knocks it into the windshield of the highway patrol. And he knows the highway patrol guy. And he sees behind him that the highway patrolman turns on his lights and wheels around and comes after him and pulls him over. He says, what what are you doing? What did I do? He said, I'm giving you a ticket for flipping the bird at me. (laughs) Isn't that a great story? That's a true story. So anyway... God provides, and we're supposed to look at that. We're supposed to look at nature. We're supposed to see nature as it really is, sustained by God, and see how it is at a backdrop. It's the stage on which we're carrying out the kingdom of God. It's the stage on which we're being those that fulfill the Beatitudes and who are praying for the future of this kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, God's going to provide for what He's called for. If we're out doing the labor of the kingdom, God says, don't you worry. I don't want you to be anxious. You know, you're going to have enough problems. There's going to be tribulation. The devil's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. Don't be anxious about my provision because I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. And so we are to be people that meditate to think on this, to chew on the reality of behind the scenes, to know that, that this hope will not be thwarted, you know, that we can stay confident regardless of whether you know, we run into anything physical or mental or, or relational, uh, that God has the provision for us in what all those, all those concerns are. So, we can be practical atheists, and we can give priority to secondary things, can't we? And when we do, we grow anxious. We grow anxious if those secondary things take the place of the kingdom of God. If our job, you know, even if our children, if anything takes the place of the kingdom of God, then we grow anxious over that because we don't know if it's going to come to pass or if we can protect that. or can, can we get that accomplished? And the reality is God will get it accomplished. Because without Him, we can do nothing. But if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we can ask whatever we will, and we know that it will be accomplished. And so again, it goes back to to thinking about the resource that's described to us, that's given to us in the Word of God and being people that meditate on that. So look look in verse 26b, and then we'll look down at verse 30. So he's talking about the birds. He says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then down verse 30 at the end of that, speaking about the grass, he says, uh, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So here we are. We have these, these significant things. Now look how upside down the world is. What's the world concerned about? They want to save the whales, right? They want to save the spotted owl. Now, here's an interesting thing. The spotted owl, they shut down the timber industry in the Pacific Northwest because of the spotted owl environment. You know what happened after about 15 years of that? Its cousin, the lesser spotted owl or something like that, I can't remember the name of it, is more aggressive and it drove the spotted owl out of that environment and drove it into, you know, its near extinction because its cousin drove it out of there. So meanwhile, we shut down all these jobs and everything for the sake of this little spotted owl. And his cousin comes in there and get out of the way, man. So the world's upside down. It wants to save the whales and sacrifice the babies. But God says, you are of much more value. So when we meditate on God's provision, we're meditating on the fact that how valuable are we? We are so valuable that God, who knows when a bird falls, knows the number of our hairs. he knows everything about us and he's concerned for us. And the Psalms tell us that, that he's constantly thinking of us. And he really, in a sense, meditates on us. He knows our thoughts from afar. He studies us to see what we're made like and to make sure that we're tended to. And he, he has a great affection for us. And so we're to be knowledgeable of that. And Jesus is saying, your father, not just God, because not all people are God's children. Not everybody belongs in the family of God. You don't get in the family of God by being born once. You get in there when you're born the second time. And those people who have been birthed of God and who have believed in that regeneration have been incorporated into the kingdom's flow. And they've been spoken these blessings of the Beatitudes. And now here here Jesus says, this is how you live. You live by being fully mindful of this truth of who you are in God, in Christ. So... I don't know if you know who Jimmy Evans is. But he's the pastor of Trinity Fellowship. And when he first began ministry, he sat with a Scottish guy. I wish I could remember his name. can't remember his name. But anyway, he taught him to meditate. And the reason that really, you know, and Jimmy will admit this, the reason he's been as successful as he has is one of the great reasons he has is because not only did God call him, but early in his ministry, he began to be a man that was serious about God's Word, and he constantly meditates on God's Word. He constantly runs God's promises, his will through his heart and his mind. And because of that, he's had good success. It's not his life hadn't been easy, you know, if you ever get you ever got to sit and talk with him, you know. If you have a problem, you just think about this. One time we were at a conference, and he says, you know, we were all pastoring little churches, and Jimmy's there kind of encouraging us, you know, and he says, you know, if you've got one problem person in your church, he said, I got 150 of them. You know, it's like, Higher levels, bigger devils. But Jesus said, don't be anxious about the things that hit you over the head in life because your Father has you covered. He loves you. He's made you in His own image. He didn't make crows or yellow cardinals in His image or bald eagles or whales. He didn't make any of those in His image. But He made you in His image. And not only He creates you, but then He adopted you, redeemed you, brought you in to His household and so he's going to provide for every need that you have. And so we're called to think on that, to truly think on that. Don't be anxious about anything, Paul says. The only thing that he was ever anxious about was the health of the church, which is kind of a different animal. But he said, don't be anxious about anything. But whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and gracious and excellent and worthy of praise, think on these things. Man, that would change our outlook, wouldn't it? There, a lot of people just say you're as happy as you want to be, you know, well, there's a lot of truth in that. My younger daughter is just happy as a clam always. It doesn't matter what's going on. She's just, whew, you know. But that's, that's just her emotional state. Some of us are more cur- curmudgeonly like me. And I have to work at this. Be sober, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's promise. Faith in God's person. Where can I get a hold of that? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night because it points us to the character and the purpose, the will of God, and it informs our faith and inspires our faith, and it causes us to grow. We put our foot down solidly on those lands, on those places where God says, that's yours. Be strong and courageous. Take it. Stand there. Be that person. Don't be anxious. So we we have to remember that. We have to be mindful of that. I'll tell you that story. I'll tell it to you again anyway if I did. so I don't have that many stories. So I used to go in. I still go into nursing home sometimes. But I used to go in on a regular basis. And I used to go in this one real nice one. And had this uh, key punch to go into the Alzheimer's wing. And so I'm there one day getting ready to punch. You. And one time, one time I was going out. And you had to key punch to get out too. And one of the patients was behind me and says, Can you tell me what that number is? They won't give it to me. <laughs> I said, No, I can't give you that number. Anyway, so I'm punching in, and, I, and I just very clearly in, in my mind, I heard this really ugly voice say, this belongs to me. And I thought, I know where that voice comes from. I said, no, this belongs to Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to you. you know? And when we go, when God sends us into the places where we are carrying the message of the gospel, that territory belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the adversary. He wants us to kowtow. He's like the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and all the electric lights. And he says, no, you can't come in here. You can't take this. You cannot possess the promises of God. But Jesus says, you already possess them in me. When you read the first chapter of Ephesians, really through the first three chapters, but it talks about all the spiritual blessings that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul makes this big, long, run-on sentence. He's so excited to get it all out. And then he says, for this reason, I pray for you that God might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ that you might know what your the, calling of your the hope of your calling is and what are the glorious riches of your inheritance in Christ Jesus. And what is the surpassing power of God that's directed towards you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants us to understand what belongs to us. How can I understand that? I can meditate upon the Word of God and allow that to inform and to inspire and to cause me to understand that, man, I've been adopted, redeemed, given wisdom. I've become a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And then I can take that confidence with me, not confidence in myself, but confidence in who God's called me to be and what He's called me to do. But if I let anxiety, oh, no, how are we going to eat? You know, when I, when I went into ministry, Denise the, the asked me that. How are we going to pay our bills? And then we started getting money. This is a very strange thing. Money would show up in the mail, like $100 bills in the mail. You ever send money in the mail? You know, they tell you not to do that. But people would send us like a $100 bill in the mail. And that was back when $100 meant something. Remember those days? Anyway, so this money would show up and and then... Just when we needed it, Denise is, Denise is a very artistic, crafty lady, Crafts, craftsy. She doesn't like when I use that word, crafty. She's very artistic. And so she saw this idea for making these pine cone wreaths. You ever remember those were popular? So she'd make these pine cone wreaths. We'd go over and get like a pickup load of pine cones, you know, and come back, and she'd put all those together. And they would sell like hotcakes. And we paid our bills off the, off the largesse of pine cone wreaths. But as soon as we didn't need that money anymore, you couldn't give away a pine cone wreath. <laughs> but when we needed it, God had buyers for it. It's just amazing how he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's just amazing. We don't have to be anxious about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. Our Father will provide for that. And we don't want to hoard it up. We don't want that to become the priority because if it does become the priority, then we become protective and we're afraid we're going to lose. But what can we lose? You know, can you imagine, I heard this one time from a guy, he said, you imagine the devil coming to Paul to tempt him and says, I'm going to take away everything you've got. Paul says, I don't have anything. So then he says, I'm going to give you everything. And Paul says, I've already got it. Because he's got everything in Christ Jesus. He's got everything in Christ Jesus. And so, this is the reality of what Jesus is saying here that we don't have to be anxious. Really, anxiety is a terrible sin because it denies that God is sovereign, that He has providentially provided for us in every respect and in all of our needs. And so, we don't want to entertain that. We need to see it as it is. And we're called to meditate. So, I was thinking about this, and, and uh, so I just want to kind of close out at, in Psalm 23. And you think about David, who's running around in the wilderness, you know, being chased by Saul for an elongated period of time. And I'm sure that when he writes Psalm 23, this is, that's one of the things that's on his mind. But he says this, and this is very familiar, but this is ESV, which is easier to read than the King James. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's very relaxing. God knows where the good pasture is. He knows how to lead us. Jesus is the only one that's gone down through the valley of the shadow of death and come up on the other side. He's the only one that can lead anyone safely through that and assure them that they'll get to the other side, you know, in one piece, whole, and ready for eternity. But this part, this part sounds good. I like this part. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I won't be anxious. I won't be doubting, my God, that I saw in the light. I know He knows this place. I know He knows this way. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So here we have this provision, you know, and we, and we rehearse it every first Sunday of every month. and. God invites us to this table that shows the provision that's made for us in Christ Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You know who it is? Well, it's the devil. He'll bring a charge against us, and he'll do it constantly. But we have an armament in faith to say no. No. That's not reality. That's not truth. What's true is who Jesus is and who He has made me to be in Christ Jesus. And He's given me this double protection, you know, in the hand of God, wrapped up in the Son. So here I have this position, this place. No matter where I am, no matter what I confront. So you prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's a great. That's a great word picture there, isn't it? It's more than we can drink. It's an abundance of life. Our life is more than enough. You know what God has given us is an overflowing amount. It's not just enough to get us by. It's not a. It's not a matter of well, is the cup half full or is it half empty? No, it's overflowing. It's overflowing. It's more than we need. It's more that we can give. You know, if a friend of mine used to say, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna serve like Jesus did, which he's doing partly in, the, in this sermon, he's going to do it fully on the cross. If you're going to serve like Jesus did, then you'll always be in the red horizontally. But it's all right because God in the vertical is going to keep us in the black. He's always going to give more and more and more. And he doesn't want us to grow anxious. Is there, is there enough up there? You know, you know, it's grace upon grace. And that wherever sin abounds, you know, grace is more abundant. And so he wants us to remember these things. He wants us to, to see that in the birds of the sky and the flowers of the field. He wants us to understand that he's caring for that stuff. Who's taking care of the prickly pear out in the desert? Nobody goes out there with a can of water and says, here, have some more. God's taking care of all of those things. And if he cares for that, how much more does he care for us who are created and stamped with the image of God? How much more will he race to our provision? He doesn't want us to grow anxious. He doesn't want us to clog up the lines of communication. He wants us to meditate on the truth that he's got in his word about himself and us. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the chief shepherd that David speaks about there, he becomes the sheep, doesn't he? And the chief shepherd is the one that comforts us now. He's been where we are. He's led the way, and he won't forsake us. His presence, his power, his promises that he gives to us in his life, and his death, his resurrection, and now in his intercession, they're available for those who simply remember and recall and keep their minds set on that. So it's not easy. You know? Wasn't easy for Jesus to go through the wilderness, was it? Wasn't easy for Paul to go through the trials he went through. But it was made possible without anxiety haunting them because their confidence was in God the Father. And our Father is God. He's in absolute control. So we're safe, we're secure, regardless of what happens. God will provide for us. So I would encourage you to be a meditator chew on the truth of God you know let God's word inform you and inspire your faith let that faith grow oh yield little faith we have faith he's not condemning us because we got faith but he says grow that faith add to your faith through the promises that are given let's pray together father again we uh, we just bless you God for time to be together God we all come and submit beneath your mighty hand our lives our Eternal destinies, God, all we are, all we have, we submit to you. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your purpose in our life, that we would be ready to resist firm in faith, the adversary who prowls around seeking to devour the the liveliness, the fruitfulness of your life in us. And God, we thank you that when Jesus appears, that we will be restored fully, completely, God, in your presence. Father, in all these things, we give you praise in his name. Amen. I put a little note on there for you. I was going to tell you the confession of a preacher teacher. You know, Billy Graham, I read this about him years ago, and I read it again this week. He said every time that he got up on the podium, he said, isn't there somebody more qualified to do this than me, you know? And I always feel that way. Isn't there somebody, God, get somebody that's a more qualified. And then I always think, all I do is say the same thing over and over. Jesus, 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 because that's who it's about, isn't it? It's all about Jesus.